3: Hello, welcome back to The Model of the Middle, a series from Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. I'm Julie Gould. I hope that this series so far has given everyone a good insight into the mid-career stage of a working scientist's life. The ups and downs, the goods, the bads. And if you haven't listened yet, and this is your first episode, two things. One, welcome. It's good to have you. Two, go back and listen to the other episodes in this series. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But now it's time for a Q&A. I spoke to a few early career researchers as part of my research, some of it recorded, some of it not. And I wanted to find out, The things that they wanted to know. What would they like to ask mid-career researchers about mid-career stage? Now I took those questions and fired them at the guests of the Muddle of the Middle podcast series. So let's dive in. One of the people I reached out to to find some questions was Sarvena Sarabipur. Sarvena is a postdoc at the Institute for Computational Medicine at Johns Hopkins University in the USA. And aside from being an active researcher, Sarvena is also an active participant in the Future PI Slack community, which is, here I quote, an informal peer mentoring group for biomedical postdocs who are interested in staying in academia, end quote. They also, by the way, have groups for those looking to transition into roles outside of academia. Anyway. So Savena had a few questions, and although they are voiced by her, they actually represent a bunch of questions that many mid-career researchers have asked on the future PI Slack community. So here we go. Let's have the first
4: question. Mid-career faculty are interested in administrative positions and leadership positions in the university. So it would be interesting to know how taking those up would affect the mid-career faculty's research.
5: Hi, I'm Andrea Armani. I'm the Vice Dean and Professor of Chemical Engineering and Material Science at the University of Southern California. At my university, I was uh, one of two full female professors in my department.
3: This was at a time when institutions were encouraged to have minority representation on all committees, boards, on award things, or anywhere, really. And this is a good thing, and there are good thoughts behind it but it is hard when you are one of the only ones in your department that fit into that group of people.
5: So suddenly uh I was assigned to everything. Uh because I was a full professor, so when you had a you know search for a full faculty member, I was it. Like I was by default the person that had to do it because I was the only eligible person. But then also in my field, I was being assigned to a lot of program committee things and you know, being chair of a lot of things. So it was, it was truly a step function because every aspect of my life suddenly increased. It, so it was very much not gradual. It was over a span of three years. I went from having like a few committees to suddenly having 30, because I counted at one point. Um, so it was, it was a lot of time and it was very much a distraction from doing research.
3: Okay, now, 30 committees is a lot, and please note, not everybody does this. There are people who take on administrative or committee and leadership work, and it becomes very much a part of their career. And one of those is Charu Koshik.
6: I am the scientific director of the Institute of Infection and Immunity at CIHR, which is the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, the largest health funding research agency in Canada. But I also wear other hats, so I'm also a professor in medicine uh, at the McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada.
3: In our conversations, Charu described herself as a racialized immigrant person. She had to work hard and adapt herself in order to be recognised in her community to get the jobs that she believed she was suitable for. So now, as a leader at the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, she has an opportunity to help the community, And she takes this role very seriously.
6: I took this position not because it was an ambition, a career ambition for me, but I see this as a a service to my community because this is the community and this is the agency that helped me in my career. So at this point in my career, I could very happily, when I took this position, I had four research grants, some of them large team grants. So I've actually had to cut down on my own personal research to be able to do this work. But I see that as a service to my community, that if somebody like me is leading this institute and understands this community really well, then I can do good things for people. I can encourage people who look or have experiences like me to be able to come through the ranks. So, uh, so I'm trying to, you know, uh, so that's a big personal mission for me, and it's it's very explicit. I am the EDI champion at CIHR, so I I'm a spokesperson for CIHR for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, Right from the beginning, I said that in my interview, that my goal is to make sure that I'm a role model for women to uh, stem women and women in my research community to see that they can be leaders. So I'm very open and explicit uh, in my mission to encourage diversity and inclusion and equity. So, uh, so that's kind of how I have, you know, sort of adapted in my own headspace and with my personality to say I need to do this because this is not just about me and my ambition. I would have been very happy to be one of the very successful researchers, you know, who writes grants, get grants. Uh, but clearly, I'm capable of more because I was doing a lot of work, just not getting the recognition or have the influence that I have now.
3: So on behalf of many early career researchers, Sarvena Sarabipur had another question.
4: How universities treat their employee, their faculty at the mid-career level compared to the early career level. I think sometimes ECRs hear that things are different with the university at that stage, but we don't really know.
0: <laughs> They're much less supportive. I think they expect a lot.
3: This is Inga Muburn. She's the Director of Research Development at the Australian National University, but you may have heard of her as the thesis whisperer on the internet. And she really tells it like it is.
0: It's it's like being middle-aged, you know. Everyone expects you to, you're not partying anymore. And no one's sort of coming and, and giving you good advice to stop drinking so much. Like, they're like, you should be able to handle... I was about to say you know I know but it's probably not a swearing podcast but you know you need to be able to handle it <laughs> and so they expect you to be able to do that and so they don't and when you can't do it um, the consequences can be quite brutal and then you're a lot of people also dealing of course with young children and family and then they've got older parents um, and so people are doing the juggle really hard at that point and I think that they're they're just not cut as much slack. So I I think it's actually a really difficult part of your career, quite honestly.
3: Honestly, indeed. But that's what we want, right? We want to hear what it's really like. Okay, Sarvena, over to you, on to the next question.
4: The department politics, because as an early career faculty in a department, you have certain, um, some space to manoeuvre. Of course, you are part of some decisions, we think, uh, and some not, but as a, as a mid-career faculty or someone who's tenured or someone who has funding, uh, things probably change at that stage.
2: Political savviness is important in the mid-career because when you reach mid-career, you start looking around and saying, hey, things are being done well, but I have some ideas of how maybe they could be better.
3: This is Cara Tannenbaum. She's a professor in the faculties of medicine and pharmacy at the Université de Montréal in Quebec, Canada.
2: Or there seems to be a recurrent problem. uh, And I think I have a solution to that. Why should other people suffer through the same, whether it's bureaucratic issues or promotion issues or hiring issues or equity issues or just efficiencies in the research that you're doing or sharing or team science... I have an idea how does one implement change so mid career is a time where hopefully towards the end of mid career you've you've taken care of yourself and you start to want to take care of others and make the system better and you need to then become politically savvy and political political savviness for me means understanding what you need to do to to change things, I guess. Um, So who makes the decisions? How do you get on those committees? How do you influence change? When does change occur? Um, You know, in early career and mid-career, you might be worried about promotion, but who makes the rules for promotion? What if you wanna change the metrics? How do you get on a committee and advocate for changing those metrics instead of just complaining about the metrics that you might not think are equitable or reflective of 21st century science? So it's who you know, it's who can tell you how that works. That's political savviness. And I knew nothing. (laughs) i learned the hard way
3: how would you advise that people build up their political savviness
2: i think that today when you see a respected colleague you can ask if they could i prefer sponsor rather than mentor sponsor means that you offer to help that person and what they're trying to achieve, and in return, they support you. Whereas mentoring is really just advice, but it's less of an action-oriented kind of relationship, it's less bi-directional and more unidirectional. So I'm a big supporter of sponsorship. You could speak to the head of your department. Most people have annual performance reviews. You should come right out and say, I want to gain leadership experience, I'd like to gain political savviness. Is there a particular committee that you suggest that I sit on Um, and if you do sit on a committee then maybe approach a senior member of the committee someone who maybe you're impressed with the way they handle the discussion and say how did you learn that and you know if you could go back in time what would you suggest that I do so I don't think you should be shy to ask for advice I think you should ask for a lot of advice I think in meetings and in conferences if you see someone who reminds you of you or that you aspire to be like, or if you see certain skills that you know you need to develop, um, ask that person for advice or, you know, 10-minute chat, three questions, 10 minutes, don't take up a lot of time. And then, and then feedback to them, come back to them and say, thank you, that advice was helpful. Or I tried what you said, it didn't work for me. Do you have another idea? Or I just wanted to let you know that it's been a year, but I actually got on that committee. Or that piece of advice that you gave me, please give it to other people. It was very helpful. So that bi-directional feedback relationship, I think, is key. Now,
3: our final question comes from a researcher in Alaska.
7: So I'm Bia Diaz, and I'm a postdoc at the University of Alaska Fairbanks.
3: When we spoke, Bia was at a crossroads about her future, unsure of whether to remain in academia and stay the course or to pursue a scientific career outside of academia. As part of her research, she has actually spent some time speaking to other mid-career researchers to find out what it is really like. But sadly, the feedback wasn't what she was hoping for.
7: When you ask on your questions, like, what do you want to learn from these people? You really want them to be, like, a little bit more supportive with early career, not just, like, seeing, like looking at early career with this futuristic or like ideally ideal oh my gosh I can't even talk right now like idealized idea of like oh early career is so nice you guys have everything you have like the flexibility you have everything is so nice when you were on my stage gonna be terrible it's like okay can you tell me a little bit more of like positive things so I'm like actually eager (laughs) to move on.
3: So I asked Bia, if you could ask the podcast guests from this series anything, what would you ask?
7: What is like your lessons learned? And I also like, I have this list of like all the things that I didn't know back then that I would love that someone would tell me. So if people have those lists hiding somewhere, please share it. And not just like in the negative aspect, but positive aspects too.
3: Alright, here goes. I asked a few of our guests to share their lists of things they wished they'd learnt about before. And first up, we've got Leslie Risler from the National Science Foundation.
1: What would you tell your younger self? I would say learn a little bit about team building fundamentals, about conflict management and leadership because these are things that will benefit you both professionally and personally what are some lessons learned and also a list of all things that i didn't know then that it would have been great if someone had told me about you need to work hard do what you love don't worry if people disagree with you perseverance and passion are still important in science and they help drive us. Be brave, be kind to people, watch out for unbalanced power dynamics and the realities of harassment and bias in academia and society.
0: Inga Muburn here. If I had one piece of advice to give to my earlier self, I would say that remember you have to earn the right to ask a favor. So research all relies on networks and if you concentrate on your network and building a database of contacts, it'll pay you back for years and years. Now, networks happen in classrooms, in conferences, um, but you'll meet more people if you do it right than your brain can actually handle. Robin Goodwin said that perhaps we can only... I remember the personal details of about 120 people. This is why you actually need to have some sort of database. It can be electronic. I use Notion. Or it can be paper, like a bullet journal. And you just make notes about the interactions you have with people. What did you talk about last? What are your common interests? But more importantly, what are their concerns? What are their needs? Um, and then when you come across a resource, it might be a paper or a contact or a person or something, put that person in touch with that resource and they will remember and thank you for it. Be generous, always keep the ledger of doing more for others than they do for you and you will find that whenever you need help you will just ask your network and it will provide and it might not be the person that you directly helped, it might be some friend of theirs but you create goodwill and you cannot put a price on that.
3: Next is Andrea Armani from the University of Southern California in the U.S.
8: There are many things I would tell my younger self. The most important personal life is setting boundaries. Early in my career, I set a, a boundary of making sure I had dinner every night with my husband. Uh, this gives us a chance to talk about our days. And then every Friday we have date night. And this is really important just you know, for the health of our, of our marriage. The most important uh, work advice is to make sure to learn something new every day. And this often takes the form of just going to a seminar that's not in the department, or if I'm at a conference, you know, going to a session that's outside of my specific field. Um, all of these have helped with networking. They've helped with you know, coming up with new research ideas but it's really helped broaden my personal research group and how we think about our problems.
3: And finally, a last collection of thoughts and bits of advice from Cara Tannenbaum from the Université de Montréal.
2: I would tell my younger self to believe in me, to continue working hard on what I love, but to also play hard every chance I get, because life is just too short not to have fun with friends and family along the way. I might congratulate my younger self her persistence and determination despite all the difficulties and the barriers that she would have to overcome because it's persistence and determination which ultimately lead to success I would encourage my younger self to network more to explore opportunities outside her comfort zone because we grow and learn when we take on new leadership opportunities and while it will not always be easy I know she is up to the task Definitely, she should surround herself with a support group of like-minded individuals working on the same challenges, whether it's career or family or presentation skills or leadership skills. Surround yourself with a good support network. And finally, never give up.
3: Thank you to all the guests on this episode who took a bit of extra time to send over their thoughts and to answer Bea Diaz's question. I hope the answers are useful to all of you. Now we've got one more episode to go in this series and on reflection like listening back to all of the other episodes I wondered is it worth having some more structure to the mid-career stage of a working scientist's life? So that is what we'll find out next. Thanks for listening I'm Julie Gould.